Trike Nutrition is the answer when it comes to selecting the best protein on the market. Try our high-protein coffee flavors, original ice, mocha, vanilla, and peanut butter. Each serving has two shots of espresso, 20 grams of whey protein, and only 2 to 3 grams of sugar. Let Chike, that's C-H-I-K-E, nutrition, fuel your focus and power your day. Check out ilikechike.com and use discount code DOCSANDJOCKS for 20% off your order. Chike Nutrition, today's protein for tomorrow's success. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. It's great to have you joining us this week and every week. What we do here is my name is Dr. Dan, and I talk about what's going on in the sports medicine world. And uh, really, it's a sports entertainment show with a sports medicine niche. We come from uh, Docs and Jocks radio studios deep in the heart of Texas, man. Great to have you join us. Remember, you can not only uh, listen to our radio show as it's heard all around the nation on SB Nation, but you can also listen to our show anytime, anywhere by going to uh, either our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, or pick us up on our SB Nation's uh, Podcast Arena uh, podcast there as well, man. Or you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and find out all about our show, find out all about uh, what we do here at Docs and Jocks. I've been a team physician and a sports medicine physician about the past uh, 25 years, and I'm joined each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Ferris, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely. Look forward to it every week. You know who we're uh, having on this week? And you and I uh, kind of got grossed out by the pictures. By the way, we're going to be putting his pictures on our social media, which you can go to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and look at the same pictures we're talking about. And what we're talking about is our Masters World Champion weightlifter, Shane Sevsik. And uh, Shane had a horrific injury to his lower extremities when he had his ankles rolled over by a uh, Dodge diesel truck. And he was literally talking about having amputations and prosthetic feet placed on him because it was such a severe injury. He not only overcomes that, but then he goes on to become a master's powerlifting weightlifting uh, champion in the world. So we're going to be talking to Shane and how he overcame an injury to go on and have uh, great uh, stuff happen to him. We'll be talking about how you start exercising when you're past the age of 35, 40, and you're getting into those years. So we'll want to miss that. Also, in our second half of our show, when we have a second hour of our show, we're going to have on uh, Dr. Dale Funk. We'll be talking about the 25-plus ACL injuries already that have happened in the NFL. And we'll be talking to our orthopedic surgery and sports medicine colleague, Dr. Dale Funk, about what you do for an ACL rupture, how you do the uh, surgery uh, to uh, replace that and how you do the rehabilitation. He and I will have a discussion about all that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Remember, we would love to have your question, and you can give us your question by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can send us uh, your question, and I'll try and get that on air. If not, I'll answer it personally. We'll see you here on the other side of this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, here inside our Docs and Jocks radio studios deep in the heart of Texas. Hey, I just wanted to jump in, Ferris, into what's going on in the sports medicine world right now, right before we have our interview coming up with uh, Master World Champion weightlifter Shane Sevsik on the other side in the next segment. And uh, there's some uh, breaking news in the U.S. Open. Uh, they're, They're talking about a lot about Venus Williams and Serena Williams. Realize these two sisters who have by far been the best female tennis players in the history of tennis, definitely in American tennis and USA tennis, they're getting ready to do a showdown at the U.S. Open. Right now, Serena is ranked 17th. Venus is ranked 16th. Serena has actually won six previous U.S. Opens, but she's recovering. Remember, we discussed this here on Docs and Jocks from maternity leave, where not only just a plain maternity leave, but had multiple different 
you know, medical illnesses happened from that. She ended up getting clots, and then she ended up getting a uh, pulmonary embolism and got a filter and all kinds of things. And you can always go back if you want to listen to our segment where we talk about her medical conditions in detail. Go to docsandjocks.com and hear that. But it really came down – and by the way, this is their 30th meeting. So these guys, when they play, and this is coming up uh, this weekend, so it's going to be a lot of fun watching those guys play it and going at it again. But the French Tennis Federation has been under all kinds of scrutiny as they banned Serena Williams, her cat suit. And it looks like to me, Ferris, and I, have you ever seen the movie Black Panther, Ferris? Have you seen the movie? Black, are you into those uh, superhero I movies? Have, I am not into superhero <laughs> movies. I have not seen the movie, but I've seen the commercials. Yeah, it looks like the cat suit that you see in the Black Panther movie. And Serena claims that she is wanting to wear this suit to prevent blood clots. So I thought this would be a good time to talk about why we wear compressive garments, especially in people who have uh, been immobilized to try and prevent clots from happening in their lower extremities and then see if this makes sense, whether or not I think Serena Williams is truly trying to prevent blood clots. Compressive garments are put on people. So like in a rehabilitation unit, which I'm a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician, that's exactly what I do is take care of people who've been disabled or immobilized and we're trying to get them back to a higher level of function. You will often put your patient in these stockings and they're compressive stockings and and they roll onto your feet and they come up usually they can either be uh, knee high or sometimes they can be thigh high but let's say Ferris uh, one of your loved ones has had a stroke and they can't move their left side and so that side is completely immobilized and they're in bed because they've just had this stroke and they're just trying to learn to get being you know mobile again and trying to help transfer and maybe try and do some uh, a little bit of walking those types of things if they're down for a while what happens is your blood pools, and when your blood pools, especially venous blood, remember there's platelets in your blood. Platelets are what cause you to clot. You know, if you cut yourself shaving, eventually it stops bleeding because those little platelets clot and they keep that blood from running out. So the same thing happens, especially after you've had surgery or some kind of trauma to your leg or if you're just truly immobile because the blood now pools. Normally our blood flows, fares because when we move, when we exercise, there's a series of valves in the venous system, so your blood that has been used, the oxygen's already been taken out of it, and it's heading back to your heart and lungs to get some more oxygen going. That blood, as, it, as your muscles tense, contract, it moves the blood up to the next level. The valve then lets it through, but then closes behind it, kind of like the Panama Canal. You know, you've seen those series of locks and, and bridges and dams. So as it does that, it eventually moves it up to your heart. So if you're not moving, you're not moving the blood. You're not compressing those those uh, veins, and you're not moving the blood to the next valve, and it just sits there. When it sits there too long, it clots, and then you get a deep venous thrombosis. DVT is the short for that, and it causes a clot in your leg, which can break off, and when your blood, when a clot breaks off in your venous system, it goes up to your heart. It gets shot over into your lungs, and then it gets stuck there, and that's what a pulmonary embolism mm. is, and it can be life-threatening in many, many cases. So it is a good thing to wear a compressive garment if you're immobilized, you're not moving. But if your blood is moving and you're moving, yeah, you know, there's you're moving the blood to the next valve, and so you're really not pooling blood, so your risk for a clot is not higher. So yes, uh, Serena Williams did have a DVT, but that was uh, because she had just had a child. She was down for another for that reason and other reasons, medical problems. So she was immobile. That's who gets DVTs, and that's who gets clots. So when she says, I'm going to wear a cat suit so I can prevent a DVT or prevent a clot in my leg, I don't know if that makes sense in light of she's playing tennis. So she's <laughs> constantly contracting the muscles, right? You got what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. it isn't the best thing you can do to prevent a DVT is be active. 
have your muscles firing. So it, it doesn't make much sense for her to say I'm going to wear a cat suit because I want to prevent a clot. So, so why don't they like it? They don't like the look of it, or they don't like. They think it gives her a competitive advantage. You'll to have wear? to ask. You'll have to ask the French. I don't know, Ferris, why they don't like the suit. But, <laughs> but they just said it. I, it does isn't very. I don't think it meets the tennis rules of theirs. Their tennis standards of the French. We oui, we. Oui. I try not to engage the French in any way <laughs> at all, uh, except for a little French cuisine now and then. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you, Doctor Dan, because I I um you know I work out and I got my wife got me some some compression gear, some skins and stuff, and I was actually wearing them when I worked out. And then uh, Jordy Hackett, who's a director of uh, medicine at GCU, he had said, "Hey, those are more for like after you work out and more for recovery. You kind of don't want to restrict it while you're working out. You'd rather just, you know, you feel like the feel of it. Just wear some." you know, non-compressive tights or whatever to work out and wear them more, the skins and the real tight compression are more for put them on right after you do a big workout. Yeah, because some people get a little bit of swelling, you know, like uh, like maybe Venus, maybe what Serena Williams would have better said better is that, you know, I'm having some pooling of my, after my clot, I'm getting some pooling of some, we call that edema in your legs. And so you get a little fluid built up behind it. And sometimes those compressive garments can, can prevent that. We call that lymphedema or prevent that swelling. So yeah, after you exercise, if you have some swelling, those kind of things, or you want to augment that feeling of uh, getting your, getting that type of fluid out from your lower legs and ankles, that would be something that would be actually considered and be honest with you if you're exercising routinely you don't have to have compressive garments on you know sometimes it, now certain injuries would if you have shin splints that's a, a pulling of a long muscle that runs from your lower leg down into your foot it's a bowstring like muscle so that long muscle as it pulls it pulls on the periosteum or the covering of the bone it's attached to and it hurts so sometimes that compression helps that excessive pull or if you had a hamstring injury same same kind of type of scenario and some of those things will make it feel better and those injuries are good but if you're exercising routinely and you're not having an issue i don't think you have to wear compressive garments for any medical reason that makes it better it might look cool yeah but you don't but as far as medical goes i don't there's no 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 reason behind it yeah i i, I just wondered about that i mean they're very expensive too yeah <laughs> to buy yeah, you yeah. know um, so I was like, oh, is it really going to be that helpful? And so I'll wear them sometimes after I do a leg workout or something, or after if I go for a run or something. Yeah. And, and mentally, I probably am like, oh, I feel so much better after I wear them. I don't know if it's really doing anything. Yeah, or some not, things but. in your body don't like to be compressed, by the way. They can actually, different things are, are not to be compressed. So if you have a nerve close to the surface that, like, take your funny bone nerve. That's the most common one that people know. If you ding it, you know, you get a shooter down your hand. You wouldn't want to put a tight constrictive band, like wrap it really tight, right right where your funny bone nerve comes through your elbow or you're going to injure the nerve the nerve doesn't like to be pushed on for a long time we all know that we've all sat indian style or sat on our leg wrong our whole leg goes to sleep that's because we're pushing on the nerve so you wouldn't want to do that purposefully the other thing is uh, you don't want to necessarily constrict blood flow when you're going for the same very reason we just said venous stasis in other words blood that is venous blood, unoxygenated blood, that sits for a long period of time, becomes stagnant. When it becomes stagnant, it clots. So you don't want to constrict blood flow. So when we tell people wear constrictive garments, sometimes they don't like them in the hospital. They'll, they'll take the top of the thigh high ones and roll them down their thighs. So now they've got this tight band right there above their knee. Well, that's, mm. that's defeating the purpose altogether. So you can actually cause yourself to have a venous stasis if you wear constrictive garments. I don't think it's a benefit, a useful benefit, unless... You're talking about a person who has the lymphedema, like people who've had maybe like an athlete who's had uh, breast cancer. They've had a mastectomy and they've had lymph nodes removed sometimes because that lymph fluid that's removing excessive fluid. That's what lymph nodes do. Right. That will collect in the extremity. That's called lymphedema. And they'll wear compressive garments sometimes to keep that from happening 
during uh, during exercise or movement. They don't want that fluid collecting in their arm. Those compressive garments will help. Other than that, I don't see a real reason for it. Hey, we're saving you money. You don't got to go out and buy a bunch of, uh, you know, spend hundreds of dollars on this until we come out with Docs and Jocks, uh, you know, apparel. Exactly, you know. yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, Ferris, I know you were getting ready to, uh, you love to work out in your garage there, and I know you're getting ready to wear a cat suit out there in the garage. The French won't mind you wearing that by yourself in the garage, but from a medical standpoint, Ferris, I don't think you need to wear the cat suit when you're doing P90X. I have the cat suit on right now. Just I know. For you and Hawk it, on it, the Skype. It is troubling. I, I assumed you did, and it's very troubling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes, fair for our listening audience who can't see us, and thank goodness because. Hawk comes always with a backwards cap and sometimes shirt on, shirt off. Ferris sometimes half-dressed wearing a, a Royals hat backwards. So Let her no wear wherever she wants. She's the best in the world. Let her wear what she wants. The French would be very upset with our Docs and Jocks uh, apparel here, but not us. Hey, when we come back, we'll be talking to Shane Sefcik, a master champion weightlifter who overcame a horrific injury. All that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports entertainment show. We'll see you on the other side of this short commercial break. Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. So great to have you join us today. Hey, if you want to find out more about our uh, sports medicine radio show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And there you can also listen to any of our previous uh, shows we've ever had on air. Maybe you are just catching our show for the first time. You're in a radio uh, show, uh, a radio area that uh, catches our show. Maybe you uh, currently don't live in one of those areas. You can catch our show by going to our podcast, either on iTunes or on our SB Nation feed. Love to have you part of our show that way as well. Joined each week with my co-host, Ferris Potter. And Ferris, we're very uh, fortunate to have on and honored to have on a uh, 2017 Masters World Champion weightlifter, Shane Sevcevic. Shane, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, thank you. Look forward to it. Hey, so uh, tell us what it was like. Uh, you, your story is very interesting in the fact that you really didn't start doing heavy Olympic powerlifting until the age of 34. Our listening audience out there who's, who listens to Docs and Jocks routinely, we're huge advocates of starting exercise anytime, any age. We think there's always a benefit to it. Tell us why at age 34 you really started getting into Olympic powerlifting. Well, so it's, a, it's kind of a funny story because uh, what originally got me into it um, and this probably ties in really well, uh, I have two ruptured discs in my back. And uh, the two ruptured discs in my back, when I went to, when I, I saw like a neurologist and a back specialist and everything, and they wanted me to fuse my back up. Um, and I didn't obviously want to fuse my back. And being some other people, we talked about re-strengthening, getting my core strength up. Um, it was L4, L5, L5, S1, lower back. And uh, so we, we went to a, a therapist, and we just started doing a lot of core strengthening. And the core strengthening led me into doing, like, more squatting and more deadlifting specifically, uh, which then kind of led its way into uh, uh, doing a lot of, like, functional fitness-type stuff. Yeah. That's when I was exposed to the actual Olympic lifts. Now my core strengthened back up. My lower back's not causing me any pain anymore. I don't need to get surgery on my lower back, um, but I found this new sport called weightlifting that I really, really love and enjoy. Awesome. Um, so then I started just lifting weights all the time because, you know, obviously with the ruptured discs, I mean, they don't like, they don't unrupture. I mean, you, you're going to have that, um, but keeping my body strong, keeping everything healthy 
has uh, made the pain completely go away where I don't take pain meds or any of that kind of stuff anymore. Wow, Shane, I'm actually, that's what I do at my day job at Tech Support and Spine. I deal with people with uh, injured backs and injured ruptured discs all the time, and you are singing my song, man. I, I literally wrote the uh, textbook on core strengthening, core stability, and that is so, so true. I always give it the analogy of like what you did with your back. It's like a long, skinny flagpole with a weak spot in the base, and you can you can repair that by building up the supports around it, like putting two-by-fours around the flagpole. That's the analogy I use with core strengthening. And man, that is so spot on. I'm gonna We are going to uh, highlight this uh, radio show because I say it all the time, but to hear someone who actually did it, who injured their back, and then went out and did core strengthening and got themselves to not only the point where you're not hurting you anymore, but now you're back to the point where you're doing breaking world champions and world championships and weightlifting. That is absolutely crucial and absolutely amazing. So the other part of your story, the huge part of your story, is the fact that you had a horrific injury where you actually had your ankles rolled over by a Dodge diesel truck. Walk us through that. And that was just months before you broke the record by the became the world champion. So tell us about your horrific injury. Yeah, so uh, so I, I'm about two and a half years into my weightlifting career. Um, I competed at Worlds one time and finished fourth. And I was gearing up. You, you know, I was a lot stronger, I had more experience, and I was like, I got a good chance at this. And then it was just one, you know, one of those accidents that, you know, we've all been those times where, like, something came really close to hitting us yeah. or, you know, close to an accident, but you're like, you catch your breath, and you're like, wow, that was close. Yeah. Well, this is the one that was too oh, close. Oh, man, yeah. Um, it was literally one of my very best friends and I just got done playing around a golf, uh, he was in my driveway. I just put his clubs in the bed of his truck, and uh, I was leaning in his passenger side window saying goodbye to him and, like, reached in to give him a hug. And as he leaned across oh, no. his foot, the truck was already in reverse, and the wheels were cranked oh, all the way. Yeah. He had to back up and turn real sharp. And as he leaned across, his foot just kind of rotated oh, off terrible. the brake and onto the accelerator, and the truck lurched back and just pulled me right underneath the uh, the front oh, right hand tire. Oh, that's terrible! And it uh, it went across my uh, my right foot, but just kind of went over the top of my foot. But my left foot, it went right over my ankle, and it actually uh, the actual injury is called a uh, it's a compound dislocation fracture and degloving of my heel from the rest of my, uh, from the rest of the foot. And for all those who are non-medical out there, all those things are really bad. Every one of those, dislocation, fracture, compound fracture, degloving, all really bad. So just to put it in uh, layman's terms. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so the, the foot actually flipped all the way upside down outwardly. Oh, which usually, wow. you know, when, you, when, when people sprain their ankles, usually it's, it's an internal where it rolls underneath. Yeah. And this rolled out all the way to where I could see the bottom of my foot looking back up on me on the outside of my leg. Well, Brandon Hawk, um, our producer, actually sent pictures of that out. Outside. Yeah, Brandon Hawk actually put took pictures, and it's on our uh, Docs and Jocks Instagram for those who want to see that. I think Ferris had a question for you. Shane, Ferris, you have a question? Yeah, Shane, I, I was going to, as Dr. Dan said, you know, we're a sports uh, medicine show, so Brandon decided to send <laughs> that picture out. And so when I open my Instagram, I'm greeted with that in the morning. How do you recover from that? That is the gnarliest injury I have ever seen in all the time doing this. I mean, what's your mindset when that happens? Are you like, I'm done for the rest of my life lifting? How did this happen? Where did you go from there? Well, so, so fortunately, I think because of like having back injuries and kind of being an athlete my whole life, I'm kind of, I'm used to being beat up because literally the one of the funny parts about it, when he backed over it, 
he actually parked on top of that ankle. Oh. Once he felt the first thump, he stopped the truck. Oh, and it's stuck jumps in the out, runs around, and is still on top of me. So then I told him, like, get in, back it up the rest of the way. I literally hopped on my good foot into the into the side of his truck, and uh, we just drove me down to the ER because it's only about uh, five miles away, and uh, got to the hospital and started uh, getting surgeries because there's there's three emergency surgeries that night, and uh, and for the first week they thought I was going to lose my foot. Yeah, um, they, they thought they were going to have to amputate it because with crush wounds your body doesn't want to circulate the area anymore. It's right. kind of like how it preserves, you know, the, yeah. the appendage and just stops circulating blood, and they'd have to amputate. So when I came out of surgery, that was the first week was uh, they were going to have to observe and see if it started to recirculate or not. And uh, once we got that, you know, so when you, when you start with a baseline of they're going to have to amputate, uh, Looking real bad doesn't bother you so much anymore. Because at least you're looking at something. <laughs> yeah. And is, is it true, Shane, that you actually, I read this uh, in your bio, it says that you were, well, during that time frame, you were Googling and searching uh, prosthetic feet, and could you still weight lift with prosthetic feet? So you're, you're not only thinking about getting a prosthetic limb, you're, not only, you're, you're the, that forward thinker that says, I want to be the next weight lifter with prosthetic feet. Is that true? Yeah, no, that's very, very true. That was uh, now. This is a morbid night, and this might be some of the, like the Percocet talking. But I mean, I'll never forget that. Where you know, I couldn't. My body doesn't deal well with pain medication. I'm one of those guys that if I take any, I just stay up. I can't sleep. So it's like four in the morning. I can't sleep. I'm on my iPad and literally doing Google searches over prosthetic feet. And you know, you find all the ones for people that run and people that can jump on them. And I'm trying to, like, look up ones that have, like, load-bearing ratios and how much weight they can handle and whether I can make that work or not. But that's when I power the iPad down. Like, okay, we're going down a very morbid trail right now. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's not put the, uh, the cart in front of the horse, and we'll wait till the next appointment. What's even more amazing about that is that you go on and you, you win your world championship. So tell us, how many months after that injury did you go on and win, and what, weight, what weights were you lifting and what events uh, when you won that? Yeah, so it, was, uh, it wasn't that much longer. So one of the nice things about this whole injury, now, getting yourself back up and just training, yeah. that was the hard part. I mean, you got to like just bite down and accept the fact that you're taking some major steps backwards. Um, but I've always been an athlete, and I've kind of always identified as one. So I had to get back into it. I had to – it just – my body doesn't feel right if I'm not working out and doing something. Yeah. Um, so you started training. The, the accident happened. Uh, God, it was actually the it was the day of the uh, the uh, Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight. Yeah. we I was getting ready to go to watch that at a buddy's house, and uh, the world's was just right at twelve months later. Not wow. even quite twelve. It was like ten months after the accident. Yeah, it was in like February that following year. And uh, so I, uh, you know, once this, the once the cast came off, uh, I talked to my doctors and I talked to the medical team, and they said, "Well, you're gonna have flexibility issues." Um, if I was a basketball player or something involved a lot of lateral movement, that movement's been slower to recuperate. That's taken me longer to get back. Um, but they said, as far as structurally, um, one of the interesting parts about being a competitive weightlifter is uh, my bone density is off the chart. Yeah, absolutely. It's one um, of the benefits is, of weightlifting, this, yeah. 
and this is the nature with any any weightlifter that has a lot of like you know weight on their body is your bones yeah. naturally adapt exactly and uh, and people don't realize it. That's why it's so important for people, especially later in life, to keep on doing resistance training because it really transforms your body. Hey Shane, what did you lift? What was your uh, what was the amount you lifted? We just have about another twenty seconds here. What what weight did you lift to win it? Uh, I snatched uh, 142 kilograms, so about, I mean, it's about 315 pounds, <laughs> and I clean and jerked 172, Wow! so right at about 385. Hey, I think the uh, point of this interview, Shane, has been too short, we'll have to have you on again, is there is no excuse not to exercise. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your injury, and it doesn't matter your pain level. If Shane Sevick can do it, you can do it too. Hey, thanks, thanks, Shane, for coming on and telling us there's no excuse why you can't exercise, man. We've been talking to Masters World Champion weightlifter Shane Sebek. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you joining us today. Hey, if you've ever missed an interview like the one we just had with Shane Sevsik, the uh, Master Powerlifting Champion, man, you can go back and listen to that interview anytime, anywhere by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, or you can go to our SB Nation podcast uh, with uh, Podcast Arena, and also those will be posted on docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. I'm Dr. Dan, your sports medicine physician, coming to you along with my co-host, Ferris Potter, longtime sports broadcaster with Grand Canyon University. And uh, Ferris, I thought that was a great interview with Shane Sefcik. By the way, if you want to find him and uh, maybe send him a question about lifting, powerlifting, lifting in a master's division, which is, I believe he's uh, age 35 and older now, you can do that by going to his Instagram, and his name is spelled Shane Sevcik, uh, S-E-V-C-I-K. S-E-V-C-I-K. So be a great source for you if you have any of those questions. Enjoy that interview, man. Yeah, pretty crazy. My, my favorite part of the interview is he said, the funny thing about the guy backing over my ankle was that he stayed parked on it. And he found that funny. He's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was kind of funny. He got out of the car, Woo. came around, and yeah. I said, go ahead and back it off and then take me to the hospital. That's insane, dude. Yeah. If you look at those pictures, I, I'm not joking. That, that was the... I hate when, like, a guy does something and his knee goes the wrong direction, you know, and Hawk always likes to send me those, like the disjointed things I don't like. But that was the grossest thing I've ever seen. It looks like there's a, just a massive hole in his ankle, and it's all gangrenous, black. And, ugh, yeah, I learned a lesson there, man. It's things not to do is one is uh, don't, don't reach into a truck to hug your buddy. I found that out, so I'm glad we're not huggers, Ferris. That's good. Well, I never, I'm not hug gonna, your buddy. Yeah, I'm not, you're not going to run over my ankles. I'll just, yeah. I'll just say, hey, man, I'll see you later. I'll give you a handshake maybe if you really want to go real that, that far with it, but let's just don't hug through the window. I don't think there's, that's necessary maybe. You know, and he, and he, he probably also missed the Manny Pacquiao-Floyd Mayweather <laughs> fight, but it was a bad fight. So <laughs> it was, a, it was not even a fight. I don't even know if that was a fight. Yeah, he probably got lucky missing that yeah, one. Yeah, it was a little bit more of a pillow fight than anything. That was a weird, <laughs> weird fight for sure. So, hey, at the end of the segment, we're going to have on Miss lovely Miss Tracy Munton. She is our certified uh, sports psychologist. She is the uh, She's going to be talking about how to use your mental abilities and your mental strength to allow you to be a better athlete. And, man, I'm telling you, I've been around this gig a long time, seen a lot of athletes at every level. I take care of – I've taken care of professional college, high school, weekend warrior athletes of every level. And if you can make yourself mentally tough and mentally stronger, which all of us can do through training and working it, just like you do your physical body, it is well, well worth the benefit. She's with the Edge Mental Strength. And uh, here in, uh, she comes out of our facility here in Abilene, Texas, The Forge. But you can get on, go to uh, docsandjocks.com and click on the Edge Mental Strength icon. It pops it up, gives you a free evaluation, doesn't cost you anything. You fill that out. It just talks about your ability to 
play under pressure. It talks about your ability to have confidence. It talks about how you goal set, all those types of things. It'll allow you to be better. And uh, we've had professional soccer players like uh, Xavier, who's here visiting us in studio today. He's done it and been on the air talking about it. We've had all kinds of different athletes use it, and it's an incredible resource. Like I said, it's a free evaluation. Just go check it out at docsandjocks.com. Click on the edge mental strength. Hey, Ferris, I thought we'd talk about some of the big baseball woes right now. And we talked about it last week, but I was going to give a follow-up on the New York Yankees. Aaron Judge still continues to be out. Remember, Aaron Judge, the big stud, uh, huge uh, right fielder for the New York Yankees, continues to have uh, pain in the wrist. He's now over a month out. Remember, he got beamed in the right wrist on July 26th. He had what was called a chip fracture. No reports about what bone was involved. I would have supposed just based on where he was struck at is probably the ulnar bone, which is your elbow is the ulna, the tip of your elbow there is your ulnar bone and it, ulna bone, and it comes up and it uh, becomes the outside or pinky side of your wrist. And so the ulna is a bone that gets hit on the wrist, and I think that's probably what happened. I'm not sure. But uh, he uh, has been out now for over a month, and uh, he the, the uh, Yankees go out and they acquire Andrew McCutcheon. Remember, Ferris, Andrew McCutcheon, 2013 MVP with the Pirates. He hasn't had that same kind of success with the San Francisco Giants this year, but they go out and get him for um, basically just a uh, insurance policy because now you got John Carlos Stanton talking about hamstring uh, woes and they're trying to DH him but they can't because they need him in the outfield because they're short on outfielders. But one of the reasons I think Aaron Judge continues to be out, people are like, why would it matter if he has a chip fracture if it isn't completely healed? Why can't he get back out there? And he says he's still having a lot of pain in your wrist basically has so many ranges of motion. Remember, you can flex your wrist, you can extend your wrist, you can deviate your hand towards the ulnar side of your wrist you can deviate it towards your thumb side of your wrist you can uh then you roll your wrist too that's called pronation and supination where your hand rolls over and if you think about swinging a baseball bat ferris that's all of those combined you really go through really all range of motion with your wrist so it's a very difficult one when you have a wrist injury to try and come back from quickly give me your take on andrew mccutcheon do you think he'll be able to fill the gap i think they're sitting right now eight and a half games behind the red sox pretty much got a wild card spot locked up you never say never but it'd be pretty tough for them to lose it do you think andrew mccutcheon will help them down the not only the stretch but also in the playoff run remember they got him before august 31st so they can use him in the playoffs now do you think he's going to be an asset for the new york yankees oh yeah definitely i mean you know i mean he has de- he has decreased quite a bit production wise since that MVP year and the highs where he was a you know perennial three hundred plus hitter hitting twenty five homers a RBI he was never a big homer RBI guy but they don't need that they just need somebody who's healthy he's a good ball player he can spell a guy out there if Stanton needs a break that type of thing so yeah I think it's it's a great acquisition it, it couldn't have been that much money to get him from San Francisco so it's a great move by Brian Cashman just to add but. We talked about it, Dr. Dan. I mean, if you don't have all your guns firing, especially Judge, and if Stanton's dinged up, you're just not going to go far. That American League at the top is stacked with Boston and Cleveland, uh, and and you're going to have to play that one-game playoff. Boston, Cleveland, Houston. I mean, those are three – I think those are the three best teams in baseball, to be honest with you, and they're all in your division. So if you're not 100% healthy – Man, it's going to be tough. And they've all had some injury woes this, this year. Unlike last year, the Houston Astros have had some of their star players go down. You've seen Altuve and you've seen Correa. You've seen now the Boston Red Sox. Uh, David Price had a scary moment last game. He gets hit in the wrist by a, a line drive. The x-rays are negative, and he looks like he's going to possibly – they said they're not going to rush him back. So I would imagine uh, he's probably with a bone bruise is what they're calling it, or contusion. He's probably going to be out at least one start. 
And then, of course, the New York Yankees not only have Aaron Judge out with his uh, wrist injury after being hit in the wrist with a pitch and having a chip fracture. John Carlos Stanton's now talking about his uh, ongoing woes with his hamstrings. Gary Sanchez, by the way, made his minor league uh, rehab stint. As all good players, I don't know what it is about the great ones. I don't know why players who are Major League Baseball players do this. Comes up his first at bat in the minor leagues and hits a home run. How do they do that every time, Ferris? <laughs> There's such a small select. People, remember, if you're a Major League player of any caliber, and I know Gary Sanchez has had a rough year. He's batting like 188 or something like that, really down on his luck this year. But if you are the 1% of the one percenters that make it to the Major Leagues, you are a, you are a professional hitter. And it, it is amazing how those guys can come through in the clutch. Hits a home run his first rehab at bat down in Scranton. And uh, he's been out since July 24th, and he's probably going to be able to get back Possibly as early as this weekend. Then you got D.D. Gregorius, who uh, has been playing a great shortstop, really been a big bat they didn't expect. He had a heel contusion. He's now hitting off a tee. He's not running, but he's hitting off a tee. Low impact is typically the modified exercise that you'll get people back into when they have things that are weight-bearing injuries like a contusion of the heel. They'll let him start doing stuff like hitting off a tee but not jumping up and down or running on it. And then Araldis Chapman is the big one, in my opinion, if you're going to look at anybody throughout the entire playoff run that would make a huge impact. Aroldis Chapman, their closer, who throws 100-plus miles an hour, he has patellar tendonitis, and he just underwent, reportedly underwent, his second PRP injection, that platelet-rich plasma injection. That's where you pull blood off, uh, intravenous blood off of the patient. You spin it down in a centrifuge. You uh, spin down a layer. You pull off a layer called your platelet-rich plasma layer, which has all the healing properties of blood in it. You take that off, and then you inject it back into tendons that maybe have some scarring, that have some tendinosis, we call it, or or repetitive injuries, trauma to them, and allows your body to get the inflammatory response to that area. So he's had two of those now. But those all, man, if you look at them, uh, if you were to lose just a couple key players in a season, but I, I really think what the Yankees and the Astros, the Red Sox are doing at this point in time because they pretty much have the playoffs locked up, they're gearing their season towards that climax, that apex of the playoffs is when it really matters. So I think that's why they've been really, really slow on pushing Aaron Judge to get back. They're trying to give time for Giancarlo Stanton to not have to play as much in the outfield and DH more so they go out and get a guy like Andrew McCutcheon. They're really trying to go out and get stopgap measures in the uh, bullpen so they can uh, – not have to have Aroldis Chapman back until maybe at the right before the playoffs. But I think they're really gearing towards that, hey, we got to be hot in October, September, October baseball, not necessarily late August, early September baseball. Would you agree? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Chris Sale is still out with some shoulder irritation, but they expect him to be back mid-September. No reason to rush him. Right. You know, yeah. they're going to be the top. The top. I think I think uh, the Astros uh, seem to be kind of the healthiest. They had some injuries Early on, Coming they're starting back. to get healthy. Yeah. They're a scary team, I think, uh, Boston. But, yeah, I think you're right. Every Those teams should all be gearing up. Seattle still is just, what, four and a half, five games out of that wild card spot. So yeah. there might be a little bit of fight to get in with Oakland, but they're like nine games away from New York. So, yeah, it's time to get healthy. I'll be interested, too, to see for that depth and giving rest to other guys more so than what they could do. You know, Josh Donaldson cleared waivers uh, this weekend. So, you know, he's a guy that somebody might grab and sign even though they got to pay him some money, you know, but he's a free agent after that. And he's a guy, if he gets hot, he could hit you five, six home runs in a weekend, you know? Oh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't have been playing that well this year, but he's been dealing with injuries. He gets hot for the Yankees or for a team that needs him. He could do something, you know? Oh, yeah. Josh Johnson is a game changer when he's on. He's the first guy that I really watched give an interview talking about launch angle, deep barrel turns, 
not uh, talking about his hands going to the ball, not talking about swinging down at it. He was the first guy, in my opinion, that changed what I had been taught or the way I thought of hitting more than anybody else. And when Josh Donaldson's on, he is lights out. And remember, in the beginning of his career, he used to do things. He said, I had guys working with me with hands down at the baseball, hands down at the baseball. And then he goes, I realized that I need to get the bat in the plane of the baseball, like what Ted Williams used to say, an upswing, now called a launch angle. But Josh Donaldson, when he gets those things going right, the deep barrel turn, the launch angle, he talks about pulling a string between your front knee and your back shoulder. So when you load, you separate your hands and you scap pull on your back shoulder, your front knee lands slightly forward open, and you're pulling between the back shoulder and the knee, and that's when the rotation happens with your hips and your hands just go around your hips. But he was the first guy that I really heard an interview, and I believe it was on Major League Baseball Network, where he put that all in uh, a, a way of, of speaking about it that made a lot of sense to me. And I think he's really been one of the forefront guys on talking about a different type of hitting, which we now hear a lot of. He did that several years ago, but I like Josh Donaldson. Yeah, the team, the team, you know, depending on when you're hearing this broadcast, the team that is most interested in Donaldson, they have to pay him about $4 million bucks. So it's it's a lot of money for 30 days, 40 days, right, of season left, but um, is the St. Louis Cardinals. They've got some guys injured, yeah. and they're still right in the thick of it. Yeah. And uh, they, they wanted Donaldson a couple years ago, didn't get him, didn't want to pay. He was making like $24, 25000000 million, didn't want to do it. Well, now they can get him for $4 bucks, you know, yeah. which is chump change for a Major League Baseball team for, yeah. you know, 45 days. So the Cardinals go on like an 8-2 and two spree. They, they get themselves in the first-place wild card in the National League Central. They lose Marcelo Zona, Ozuna, their uh, right fielder, who's, who is – caught on fire they lose their third baseman jed jerko to a groin injury you know about that ferris you've had lots of groin injuries in your life recently on impossible to recover from <laughs> worst injury ever worse than Sevick's injury by the way by, oh, yeah gonna, oh definitely we're not, not gonna close. tweet any, we're yeah. not gonna tweet any pictures of that, that's for sure. and then they lose their second baseman uh, colton wong i forget what his injury was i think it was a hamstring and then right after that happens matt carpenter leaves the game because he starts throwing up at first base so the cardinals all of a sudden you're like no injuries so like having four their star players in in one week man crazy so you never, never know with injuries. Hey, what we never, never know here is what how appreciative we are of you being our listener. Hey, we're going to have on Love with Miss Tracy Mutton talk about her mental strength with Edge Mental Strength. We'll be right back. Every serious athlete I know desires to be successful, always looking for the next great workout, drill, or gadget to make them the best, always looking for that secret of success. I saw a quote recently from author John Acuff that wasn't necessarily directed towards athletes, but perfect for them. He stated, the secret of success isn't a secret. It's doing about a thousand things consistently with excellence and humility. That's the secret. This is exactly what athletes must do to succeed. Every practice, every drill, everything must be done with excellence. To give any less, the athlete is only cheating himself. He must also be coachable and eager to learn, never feeling as if he has achieved perfection. When the athlete does these things over and over, he will be successful. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes to develop this mindset. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about what it takes to be a success, you can reach us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it's been so great to have you today. If you're just catching our first hour and want to catch us on our second hour, uh, you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can catch our entire show. If you're part of our SB Nation listening audience, man, I want to say thank you for being part of our national audience here on your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Man, we uh, really, really enjoyed all our great uh, 
listeners as well as our great guest today, Shane Sefcik. Want to say thank you for him coming on. Remember, you can follow him on Instagram at Shane Sefcik, S-E-V-C-I-K. And uh, he said you'd be glad to answer any questions about maybe you might have about powerlifting. Hey, Ferris, my co-host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. I thought we would talk a little bit about whether or not you think Albert Pujols has just been found out uh, this week that he is now going to miss the rest of the season with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim due to arthroscopic knee surgery, most likely meniscus tears and do what they call a clean-out procedure. He is out for the season, but uh, can we officially say now that the Albert Pujols situation, the huge contract they gave him, 10 years, $300 million-plus, has it been a bust, or do you still say you hold out hope that that the Angels can uh, pull something out of him? You know, financially in relevance, what what Artie Moreno wanted to do in that area, renaming the team Los Angeles Angels, I mean, they upped their Fox contract by a lot more than they were paying him. So in the financial standpoint and in the making a name for them standpoint, no, it hasn't been a bust at all. It's been a great business move. But they haven't won anything. They got the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, with them there. I mean, they're spending a lot of money on these guys, and they haven't won anything. So from a baseball standpoint – not necessarily a bust, but yeah, they haven't won nothing. The Angels are 65 and 69 this year. The only team that they're ahead of in the American League West is the lowly Texas Rangers, my favorite team in the American League. <laughs> Between Pujols, Trout, Otani, and Upton, how much money have the Angels spent on just those guys? Well, oddly, oddly Otani's only getting like 500 grand this year, but he got a 2.7 million dollar signing bonus. But they spent like 70 million bucks right. to to get the rights to sign him. So factor that out. You're getting 34, uh, 34 million for Trout. Uh, Pools is uh, upwards about twenty four million, and then you drop all the way down to sixteen million for Upton. Crazy. And he might be their man. most consistent player yeah. out, outside of Trout on the team the last two years. Well, we have the most consistent listeners on any sports medicine radio show here on Docs and Jocks. From myself, Doctor Dan, and Ferris, want to say so long. Remember, you can follow us at DocsandJocks.com. D O X N J O X.com. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it's been great to have you in our first hour. Great to have you here for our second hour as well. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, coming to you from inside our Docs and Jocks radio studio, deep in the heart of Texas. I want to say uh, thank you to our first guest, Shane Sevcik. We're going to have on the second hour, Dr. Dale Funk is going to be coming on. He's an orthopedic surgeon. We're going to be talking about the rash of ACL injuries or anterior cruciate ligament injuries we've seen in the NFL already. We're up to 25, nearly 30 now in the NFL, and the season has not even yet started. Ferris, uh, man, ACL injuries, anterior cruciate ligament injuries have been a big part of what we do here on Docs and Jocks, talking about that injury. It seems like every year we, you and I are never shocked at the numbers, but they just keem, seem like they keep uh, going up and up every year. Man, what, what a shame when a guy goes down with a horrific injury like that that's going to keep him out for an entire year if that's your favorite football team. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, is it just guys getting bigger, faster, stronger? Is it just we're hearing more about them now? Because now, now it, we, anybody gets injured, there's 19 things come out about them, right? And back yeah. in our day, you didn't even know your a guy would say play with an injury his entire season, and you had no idea he was even hurt. Yeah. Um, or is it just that guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger? They're cutting harder, faster. They're trying to do more athletic things, and the body is not just necessarily maybe – meant to be doing that stuff. I think it's a little bit of yes, yes, and yes. I think it's all the little things that we talk about, people getting bigger, faster, stronger, cutting on a, on a harder surface to cut on that you can go quicker at, people tackling them with more traumatic force. A lot of these ACL injuries, though, remember, are non-traumatic, which means they're just from cutting. Yeah. And so your anterior crucial ligament, if you want to know about that ligament, is the ligament that runs, put your hands in your pocket, and the direction that your hands are going in your pocket from outside to inside, from slightly back to slightly front, 
all that's the direction of an anterior cruciate ligament, and that's what it's doing when it's in the knee. And so that is the position that it helps stabilize the knee so it doesn't slide forward, the lower bone on the, on the top bone, and it doesn't rotate uh, too far. And so when you get your knee buckled in, you know, if you're a little bit knock-kneed, you know, that's buckling yeah. in. We call that genuvalgus. Or if you rotate past the point in that genuvalgus position, it puts that ligament on stretch. Remember, a ligament is what holds one bone to another bone, and it puts it on stretch. And then as you rotate past that point, it can take it. The tensile load then, boom, pops. Remember, a football player, this is a real misconception too, a football player like, uh, who is an NFL football player we've had on here? Frank Beltre. His ligament, anterior cruciate ligament, isn't any stronger, thicker, more fibers than necessarily a little soccer player who's playing soccer. So it isn't because you're bigger, suddenly you have a bigger anterior cruciate ligament. So even you're taking more weight, and so it can rupture and it can tear and those kind of things. So, yeah, it is it's amazing how many of those we have. But we're going to have on uh, coming up later on our show, Dr. Dale Funk. We'll be talking about what you do when it ruptures, how they reconstruct it what types of ligaments they use, how long does it take to get back, what are you looking at as far as all the different stages of rehab. We'll be talking about that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We'll be right back. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to your Sports Medicine Radio Show. My name is Dr. Dan, joined each week by Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, man, thought we'd just jump right back into sports medicine news because that's what we do here at Sports Entertainment Show that with a sports medicine niche. And uh, talk about the world's fastest man alive, Usain Bolt, decides that he is now going to become, as every coach has ever t- always told us here on Docs and Jocks, they like multi-sport athletes. He's going to be the next multi-sport athlete. He goes from the world's fastest man to becoming the uh, world's soccer fastest soccer player he just started his professional soccer career as a left wing for the central coast mariners he played 20 minutes interesting quote he had ferris he said i wish i had more touches but i'm not fit yet but i've just he said i've just got to put it all all the work together and get up to speed he believes it's going to take him two months to get fit first of all what's more shocking you would you say it's more shocking that usain bolt is not fit for soccer or would you say it's more more amazing that he only takes him two months to get fit for being a professional soccer player. Uh, I th- I think it's not surprising he's not fit for soccer because his whole life he's spent training to run you know eight seconds. Um, so uh, he's got to run more than that now with soccer. He's got to get some stamina. But yeah, he's a freak athlete, man. He's a freak of nature. Oh, if he he's going to be soccer fit in like sixty days, you know, yeah. after I get it, he came in crazy fit already with the sprinting. But, yeah, totally different. Also, your cut. I mean, he's been running straight forward for eight seconds has been his goal his entire life, you know? Yeah. So now he's going to be different. But, boy, when he does get soccer fit, I don't know if he can handle a ball. I don't know what how good he is or how bad he is. But, man, he's going to be tough to check running down the, down the oh, field. Oh, absolutely. And here's why the Central Coast Mariners are going to pay Usain Bolt to become the, uh, you know, the world's fastest man to be a professional soccer player. My son Caleb just walked in the room. Caleb, would you go watch Usain Bolt play soccer? Absolutely. See, there you go, man. I mean, they already, I think in their first game, they had like 6,000 more fans than what they averaged last year. So, man, what a great uh, financial. Whatever they pay Usain Bolt, he's going to be worth it. But, uh, you know, if he gets a run, if he gets a, it gets a uh, round the corner and he can take it down the side of the field, I mean, nobody's going to catch him. Now, we do have Sergio Chacon in here who's, uh, who's uh, engineering our board today. He's a professional soccer player, has been. In the past, and he uh, he said that Usain Bolt's soccer skills have a ways to go, but you would expect all he's been doing is practicing track and field for the last 
you know, 25 plus years of his life. So you would expect him yeah. to have a lot of improvement for soccer. But speed kills. You can't. What do they say? You can't teach speed. Yeah, like, yeah. No, you can to a point. But there is a God-given limit, and uh, Usain Bolt has the highest God-given limit of any person ever on the planet. Yeah, I mean, we saw it. It is interesting, though. We saw it. There were some guys in the World Cup that were super fast, had great moves and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's the team play that, that got the job done. But um, I would go watch him play. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be great to go see him play. Yeah. I don't know when it's going to be on TV. I'm sure it's going to be on TV sometime. But, uh, hey, Sergio, was his first game on televised nationally? Was it on national TV, his first game? with uh, You didn't see it? So, no. So, maybe he'll make it on to the uh, – you, I mean, if the United States, if this is going to be something, uh, this would be something that would get a lot of people interested in soccer when you have great athletes now going into that field. I know they're great athletes already, but in here in the United States, a lot of our great athletes go into sports like football, basketball, baseball, more than traditional ones. But they start going into sports like soccer where you see a lot of uh, football players now, parents choosing to go into less high-risk sports like soccer. This could be something that could help push them that way. Well, look, I mean, uh, Brian Mueller, president at GCU, b- put a bunch of money into a soccer stadium. They had s- almost 7,000 people out there for their first g- match against uh, Wisconsin. That's college yeah. soccer. Yeah. FC Rising in Phoenix is getting a ton of cred, and they might be the next MSL team. And then you, if you ever turn on TV, I think Fox has them, and you watch Portland and Seattle play, there's like 50,000 people in the stands. Yeah, it's definitely In grown. America yeah. for, for professional soccer. So. I don't know. The numbers are in. It's not a lot, but the numbers are down in football youth, and they're up in soccer, oddly enough, because soccer has head injuries too. But, yeah. you know, it's – not the same, I don't know. Not the same percentage. Gonna, they're going to take over, right? But right. soccer is becoming a, a very – it's becoming a popular sport in America. Oh, no, no doubt about it for sure. So, But speaking about football and injuries, uh, noted sports uh, medicine doctor, Dr. David Chow, who's been a guest here on Docs and Jocks several times. Great uh, interview. If you ever want to go back and catch a previous guest interview – like the one we had with Dr. David Chow, who's previous team physician for the uh, San Diego Chargers before they moved to L.A., uh, you can go back and listen to that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. But Dr. Chow noticed the same thing that I did. If you watch the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, Carson Wentz, who uh, was having probably one of the best rookie seasons of any rookie quarterback in a long time last year with the Eagles before he uh, tore his anterior cruciate ligament and his lateral collateral ligament on the outside of the knee, he is now, when you watch him walk, Ferris, he is actually walking with a limp. He favors the leg. It's not like dramatic, dramatic, but part of what I do as a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctors is watch how people's kinetic chain works, and that's what we call how your body all works together. And I watch gates, and I try and figure out, you know, there's a specific type of gait for someone who walks with a hip in, with a hip injury versus a knee injury versus a back injury. They walk all a little bit different. Yeah, Hawk, our producer, is doing the uh, <laughs> intelligent gait that you see in, in people who have bad hips. But that is is it so true that Dr. David Chow noticed that, and I noticed it. Part of it, Ferris, I think, with anterior cruciate ligaments, and we could talk about this with our next guest, uh, Dr. Dale Funk, who's going to be coming on and talk about all the ACL injuries in the NFL this last year, is that you really, really, if you're going to start trying to rehab someone early and try and get them back early, they have to normalize their gait pattern really early in their rehabilitation because what happens is after you have surgery, your tendency as a patient is you want to favor that leg and you tend to catch yourself walking slightly different. I worked with uh, mm. Dr. Tio Sorial, who does a show called Inside Sports Medicine uh, in uh, the Dallas area every week. And, see, and uh, Dr. Soriel used to always get on to his patients. As soon as they came out of surgery, he would watch them walk and he would say, you're limping. I want you to get rid of the limp. I want you to go ahead and start trying to walk normal and do it as quickly as possible because part of what you do is you engram, you know, you print on your brain 
the same pattern of walking. And so what happens is if you do that for a long period of time, you'll start doing it without even thinking about it. And then as time goes on, even if you don't really hurt or have a reason to favor the leg, you'll walk with that abnormal gait pattern, and it'll uh, slow down your rehab. In my opinion, I don't think Carson Wentz, if he's doing that, is quite ready to come back for the opener. I think we're going to see Nick Foles as probably the starter for the Philadelphia Eagles if Carson Wentz is still having a favoring of that leg. That's just my opinion. I think you're right on. This whole process of Wentz and his health and the fact that Foles was willing to come back and they signed him, this concerns me because I remember this with Aaron Luck, uh, you know, or with Luck, Andrew Luck. Luck. It was it was like initially the injury was like, oh, it's not a big deal. And it just lingered and lingered. And now he's finally back, like seemingly like three years. almost. (laughs) I mean, it took forever. And Wentz is like, no, he's going to be fine. And now it's like, oh, well, maybe a few more weeks, maybe a few more weeks, maybe. And hips and shoulders are always harder. We talk about the ACL. The ACL is easy, right? You kind of pretty much know. You fix it and yeah. you do the surgery, and within a year, you should be back to where you're going to be. You know? Yeah, and Carson Wentz is really – he's right on that edge. He's nine months out from an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction. He also had surgery on the lateral collateral ligament of the knee. So he's right on that cusp of – remember, usually it's about a year if you just look on where typically that falls out. Now, it can be sooner, and every case is different, and it's usually based on – what else happened during the surgery? Did they tear their meniscus at the same time? Were there other ligaments involved, like their medial collateral ligament or their lateral collateral ligament? Was there a deep bone bruise at the time of the injury that also took some time and made the knee swell up? How quickly did they get rid of the swelling in their knee? In other words, your knee is like a balloon, and when it swells, it stretches the covering of the balloon called your capsule. And when that capsule swells, it gives a feedback to your brain to tell you to shut off your quad muscles so you don't use it. I always say it's kind of God's protective mechanism to tell you, hey, there's an injury here, take it easy. And so what happens is they get this little small little quad. Well, if you don't have a strong quad and you go in and do your rehabilitation, it's very difficult to do and it takes longer to come back from it. So a lot of those other injuries that happen at the time of the tearing of the anterior cruciate ligament play a big part in do you get back in nine months, do you get back in a year. Uh, Derek Rose's case in the NBA. Do you get back in 15 months? So it's it's all very very individualized. So so it's not it's not that concerning to you, even though he is walking a little weird and he's favoring certain things. You're still like, yeah, he's probably still on pace. If they just if they just yeah. take it cautiously to be okay. Yeah, I don't know. I think still yeah, nine months out from an anterior crucial ligament and a lateral collateral ligament injury. Uh, to see what he's doing on the knee with the brace. You know, he's, he's definitely dropping back, planting on the knee. Doesn't look like he's having a lot of issues with those types of things. So I think uh, overall, I think Carson Wentz is where he needs to be. Now, if he was, you know, in pain or he wasn't throwing at all or he was still having difficulty with what he needed to do, all those things would worry me. But having a slight limp this far out, I think he's going to be yeah. okay. I think it just may not be opening day, but it may be a few weeks down the road. Mm. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. When we come back, we'll be interviewing Dr. Dale Funk of Orthopedic Surgery, talk about ACL reconstructions and more here on Docs and Jocks. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. So great to have you today. Hey, remember, you can follow us on all social media venues, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. You can go to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and follow us there, as well as here on air at DocsandJocks.com. 
Hey, uh, joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter. And Ferris, we're very honored to have on a good friend of uh, Docs and Jocks who's been on our show multiple times, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine fellowship trained uh, Dr. Dale Funk, who did his uh, University of Houston sports medicine fellowship. Dale, it seems like we used to be the young ones. It seems like a long, long time ago now. But, man, thanks for being on the show. Hey, man, thanks for having us. Uh, how you guys doing? Doing great, doing great. And the reason we're having you on is the NFL just came out with the number of uh, anterior cruciate ligament injuries that they've already had in the preseason. We're not even to the regular season yet, and we're approaching 30 anterior cruciate ligament ruptures in the NFL. I know as an orthopedic surgeon who's, uh, who really specializes in the knee and probably does more anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction than uh, any orthopedic surgeon in our area. Tell us uh, what you uh, feel about uh, preseason, and, and do you see the number of preseason uh, injuries occurring to the ACL it's on the rise? You know, I think that it's gradually on the rise. I think what happens, and it seems to be with team to team, we take care of, you know, a bunch of different teams, and then we'll see one team one year that will have, you know, five or six or seven of them, and then we're like, man, what's going on? And, and then uh, they won't, the next year they may have a couple, and then they'll go two or three years where they won't have many, and then they'll have eight, and then, and so, gosh, I think it just uh, sometimes all of a sudden they'll come as a rash, too. Yeah. But, uh, all right, that's incredible a number, especially since the, they uh, keep those guys from really going all out in preseason. That's an amazing number of injuries. Yeah, and it's not only football. You mentioned that you're also seeing it in uh, volleyball, which has become a year-round sport as well. And uh, Ferris and I were talking off air, and whether or not you think it's a uh, function of the athletes getting bigger, faster, stronger, carrying more weight, being stronger, cutting quicker, or is it a function of we just – you know, pay more attention to it now. Maybe they come with their MRIs already in hand. Give us your take on why you think you're seeing it in sports like volleyball and more in football. Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably a, a twofold thing. I think, number one, I think the number of reps that they're getting in their particular sport year-round has definitely gone up. And, that, I mean, that's pretty much all sports, volleyball, uh, football, basketball, baseball. They just, they're just doing this year-round, and they don't really have a – an off time, you know, you used to have an off time where you never really played competitively and you trained, you may have lifted and, and uh, run and gotten in shape or whatever. And now they're, they're competitively playing year round. I think that's number one. Number two, everybody gets an MRI. It's become a, a study that um, is the gold standard. And if you don't have it, you really don't know what's going on. And it's become very affordable. And uh, they just walk in and have an MRI done already. It's just there. And so if they've got a, an injury um, in their ACL, you're going to find out right away. Right. Exactly. Fair. So a question for Dr. Funk. Yeah, Dr. Funk, I mean, you, you kind of hit on a little bit. I mean, you know, everybody's getting bigger, faster, stronger, doing more stuff. And we're seeing a lot of these injuries happen in non-contact and things like that. Is it just guys, I mean, it, is it just guys trying to do more athletic moves than we've seen in the past? Or, you know, is it truly just, man, a, a guy gets, a, you know, a hangnail and everybody tweets it. So we just hear about everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely think you hear about them more, but, you know, interestingly, injuries and even in football you would think they're probably like 80 percent non-contact um basketball and soccer they're almost always non-contact which is it which is strange because you'll have a running back that'll go around the corner he did this move a thousand times and a thousand one time he did it kind of weird and landed wrong and bam you know he's down right. it's kind of it's the most it's a very uh-huh. interesting injury yeah, and you know we see uh, Carson Wentz now. He's nine months out from an anterior cruciate ligament. The Philadelphia Eagles, uh, uh, Super Bowl champ uh, quarterback. He now looks like he's walking with a little bit of a favoring of the leg that he had the anterior cruciate ligament and the lateral collateral ligament injury in. When in the rehab process did you start trying to get your athletes to walk normal without a limp? Right. 
as long as they don't have any other ligament injury or meniscal injury that you took care of, and if you were an isolated ACL, I tell them off that I'd love to see you walk on another limp and no brace in seven to ten days. And that's a really a possible goal for most people. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, he had a, an F, you know, the LCL, and, and I, I heard he had a meniscal injury as well. And so he probably was locked out for about a month and couldn't really move his knee while he was walking. They probably moved it right away, but they probably didn't move it while he was walking. Right. And, uh, oh, man, I, I saw him walking the other day, too, and it looks like he hasn't quite gotten back his full extension, so he has a little bit of a of a lag there whenever yeah. you're watching him walk. I know what you're talking about. Right. Ferris? So is that is that a major cause for concern, a minor cause for concern, or just, hey, it's nine months, let's give mm-hmm. him some more time? Mm-hmm. Nine months, you should have your motion back. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't gain it back by nine months, he might not ever get it. Sometimes it's enough to give you some issues, and sometimes it's it's uh, enough to just, uh, you know what, you're never going to quite be right there like you were. Mm. Yeah. Hey, you know, there's different types of uh, ACL reconstructions, and you're an expert in this field and do all kinds of different uh, ACL reconstructions. What do you, uh, what do you explain to our listening audience who may not know there's even different types of uh, ACL repairs, uh, what, what you go in and do and how you choose what you're going to use for each individualized patient? Right. There's probably, there's probably around five graphs that you can use for an ACL. The most common one used in competitive sports in college and in pros is the patellar tendon graph where you take the central third of the patellar tendon and borrow it. Um, the reason that is used is because it is an autograph taken from their own body and incorporates better, and the patellar tendon has a lower re-rupture rate than any of the other graphs. Um, the, the other thing that some people do, and I don't think it's the right thing to do, is, is doing the opposite side patellar tendon. So then instead of taking the patellar tendon from the side that they hurt, they take the one from their good knee and use it, well, you violated a good knee there, and I don't think that's probably right, but there are some some gurus, so to speak, that, that do that. The third graft is um, the hamstring graft, which is really, really good graft for most people that tear their ACLs and people that probably aren't going to be playing, you know, beyond high school and, and uh, need it for eight years. They just need it to get by, and, and so the re-rupture rate, if they happen to re-rupture, it's not the end of the world. They've not lost a huge scholarship or a lot of money or anything like that. And the, the difference in re-rupture rate is not high, but it's a little bit, and it's enough to kind of steer guys that are making money off of their knees um, to, to use the patellar tendon. Right. The next graph is quadriceps tendon, and then, of course, the last one would be the allograph where they've taken a cadaver and frozen it and used it. Kind of a, It's more of a backup graph for most people. Right. Are, are they working on, you know, full synthetic stuff as opposed to, I know they go outside the body with the cadaver, but it's still the same, you know, they're trying to get the, that piece. Are, are they working on synthetics and things like that? Yeah, well, they're not doing a full synthetic reconstruction now that failed so bad back in the 70s and 80s. Everybody's kind mm-hmm. of really, the Gore-Tex graph was the one that everybody used, and it was a miserable failure, and so everybody's really, really worried about that. There has been, in the last two to three years, people putting in an augment of a very thick band of a synthetic tissue um, that really doesn't have a whole lot of give, but it goes alongside of the uh, of the reconstruction and oh. thinks that they may lower the rate of rupture on the graphs and things. So, um, But the full synthetic replacement, I'm not sure you're going to see that. It has to be a biologic graph, it seems like. And talk to you for a listening audience that you always hear with an anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction. It's a 12-month time frame, but I've, I've worked with you and been around lots of great orthopedic surgeons that that time frame is varied from person to person. And talk about us, uh, some of the quicker ones you've seen in your career and some that may have even taken longer. 
For sure. Um, patellar tendons take a little bit longer because their quadriceps takes a little bit longer to come back from to get it. Um, but the actual graft incorporates faster than a hamstring. The tendon to bone healing in a hamstring graft is, you know, more around where it's three months. And uh, a bone-to-bone healing is more like seven or eight weeks in, in the patellar tendon. And so that's why some people think that they're, they're a little stiffer. They incorporate faster and, and uh, they're, they're tighter. However, they, they also have a, a less... Uh, uh, there's not as much room for failure on those. They have to be placed perfectly, and the hamstring has a little give, and the other one doesn't. The patellar tendon, if you don't put it in there really, really perfectly, then they're going to have a little trouble. Sometimes they'll come back uh, at six or seven months with that patellar tendon and be perfect, and sometimes they're ready to roll at four months. I mean, it's uh, some guys will just come back, you know, ready to go. But we hardly ever let them let them go before six months because that's what the what the literature tells us that the the sharp rise in, in uh, failures happens before six months. They're going to hold off these guys uh, nine to ten to eleven, sometimes twelve months. We saw, and um, I think one of the, our basketball players, I think it was Rose, wasn't yeah, it? Derek uh, Rose, yeah, it took yeah, longer, yeah, yeah, and so it took him over a year, right. um, and that was probably associated injuries. I bet I don't know the specifics, but there are probably associated injuries that made that happen. But they'll hold them off if they're not quite ready and they haven't gotten their strength, their jumping, and all that. The testing they've done on them just to make sure that because there's a lot of money riding on that. Yeah, there is absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Doctor Funk, uh, you have about about two minutes left here. Uh, is it good or bad for your business? And now everybody just expects you can fix them of anything. Like I get, <laughs> I, a, I, get a, I get an ACL, and man, I go We've in and about you this. should be able to yeah. cut me and just I'll be back in nine months, right? Yep. I mean, yeah, easy. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Josh, we do what we can. We try to do as good as we can. I had one, a, a teacher one one time when I was in residency. Of course, there's a lot of trauma in residency. And he goes, man, I'd sure like to take care of that blown-up femur rather than this elite athlete. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever I get out of that blown-up femur, they're grateful. This elite athlete is, expects perfection. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Dr. James Andrews on. He said the same thing. He goes, 98% uh, better in my elite athletes uh, isn't always the isn't always good enough. So, yeah, exactly right. But, elite, but we're so proud that we have a great orthopedic surgeons who've done sports medicine fellowships for our listening audience. When I say sports medicine fellowship uh, here in our last minute, tell us, tell our listening audience when I say that, what that means and what you, how you trained. Well, in, in orthopedics, um, it's a five-year residency and you do a little sports medicine here, but a lot of it just has to do with general trauma and taking care of normal stuff. And so you just do one or two extra years um, and specifically be on the sidelines and learn how to take care on the field injuries. And of course, a lot of it, is uh, is a, uh, the surgery part of it as well, learning shoulder and knee uh, specifics for athletes and what. And there's a different athletic population than the regular population. And what yeah. you see, you see different injuries. They're just definitely different. Yeah. Well, Dr. Funk, thank you for being on Docs and Jocks. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully this will help uh, keep some of those athletes both from being injured. And if they do get injured, they know where to go and what to do and uh, gives them a little uh, insight into how long it might take. Hey, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Hey, thanks, Dr. Sanders. Take care. All right. Hey, we'll be right back more with your Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show after this short commercial break. Remember, you can follow us anytime, anywhere by going to DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. We'll be right back. And Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. 
Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, this is Dr. Dan. So great to have you join us today. We're coming to you from in our, inside our Docs and Jocks radio studio deep in the heart of Texas, man. Great to be part of our show. Remember, you can also join us by going to docsandjocks.com, or you can follow us on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, in uh, multiple different ways. I'm joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris, a uh, great interview with Dr. Dale Funk there talking about ACL injuries, anterior cruciate ligament injuries, and how long it takes to get back. I always learn a little bit something uh, whenever I do those interviews, and this is what I do for my day job, by the way, so I help rehabilitate and try and I both diagnose, treat, and then uh, send off to the surgeons if it's an ACL reconstruction. Then oftentimes I'll see those back, and I'll work with my therapist very closely on trying to rehab them. But, yeah, there's uh, it, it is a big window on how you come back and when you come back and all the different variables that go into uh, that six-month window to 15 month window is on average and a lot of pieces go into it but a biggest part of and i've been doing this 25 years now the biggest part in my opinion of whether or not people come back quickly and well is their personal drive if they have focused intentional rehabilitation in other words you can only have a physical therapist do passive exercise to you so much that you benefit from it what really really benefits you is if you personalize your therapy and you were very involved in it and you were very focused it's no different than a baseball player you can go out and hit a thousand baseballs wrong and with a bad attitude and with no real intent and no focus and you've probably just wasted your time. If you go out and you hit 100 balls and every one of those is quality swings and you're thinking about it and you're working on it, man, you make a ton of gain. So it's all in how that person has the drive and the ability to focus and work on the rehabilitation. And that's in my opinion. There are lots of other variables I know. I'm not saying that's the only one, but it's the biggest one right. in my opinion. Would you agree that you see those athletes well, that really come back and work hard and do well? They, yeah. I mean, sure, because, I mean, we saw, you know, I mean, we saw um, Adrian Peterson came back in, what, like a week and a half? I mean, he came back in like six months or whatever, (laughs) right? Yeah, we called it eight. Yeah. yeah, I'm just not going to be denied. And then we saw, you know, Derek Rose, just different mindset. I'm not saying one's strong, one's weak. I'm saying a different mindset. His mindset was, I'm not going to do anything until I am 100% sure I'm ready to go. Whereas PAP was like, I don't care. I'm just going to go out and let it fly as soon as I feel like I can even get out there. Yeah, just different. That's just their mindset. Different mentalities. You're exactly right. Hey, speaking of Carson Wentz, uh, Ash, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, the wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, this year, uh, his remember, uh, right after the postseason, right after the Super Bowl, he underwent a rotator cuff repair. He looks like – so he had that done sometime in uh, February. So we're looking at now, you know, being six months out. And he is uh, looking like he's going to come back. They took him off. There's there's one thing, the PUP, which you're going to be out the first seven weeks. They took out him off that and put him uh, to now where he can start within those first seven weeks on the DL. But he's going to probably looking at most likely now from reports about three weeks out he'll be coming back. So if the Eagles start off slow with Nick Foles and no uh, Alshon Je- Jeffrey, there is some hope for them because if you get Carson Wentz back, who and, and that's if he's playing as good as he was last year, and your top wide receiver, that would definitely be a good combo to get back around week three. But I could see both of them coming back around that same window. So, yeah, he was a big part of what they did last year and big part of their uh, yeah. Super Bowl uh, victory in the playoffs, having that uh, deep guy that had the threat to him, you know, big, tall, wide, you know, receiver that can uh, go down and get the ball. Yeah, it's it's very interesting interesting in football, you know, because I'm such I'm so locked into baseball. I'm such a baseball guy. It's a, and it's a long 162 game season. So so when you think about how oh, a guy might be out, you know, I mean, what what would what would you know if if he's out if he's out two weeks of the season, you know, uh, in football, 
it's what 20 percent of the yeah. season or yeah. something like that yeah. or something i mean that's yeah, significant less, yeah. Yeah. in baseball you know it's like oh 162 games yeah if somebody has to miss a month not a big deal we'll yeah. be fine yeah. in football man you go deal. out 0203 yeah you might not make the playoffs right you know so yeah. it's kind of crazy how, how important it is to get those guys going right from the get-go oh absolutely so a couple big injuries uh, or i'm sorry big big retirements this this week uh, the defensive end, uh, Elvis Doomerville, he is now a 12-year vet, has been a 12-year veteran for the Broncos and the Ravens and the 49ers as of late. Probably most well-known for the uh, Broncos. He decides to retire, and it was interesting. I was reading his letter uh, that he uh, sent out to the press regarding his retirement. He say, stated that he felt like his body was still good, and this was the time he wanted to go out because he still wanted to go out when his body felt good. So in other words, a big part of his retirement was based on I haven't had a massive injury. that I remember him tearing his uh, pec was a big one he had not that long ago. But he hasn't had a huge injury that has affected him lo- you know, long term, and he wants to go out that way, and it's pretty pretty amazing. You know, I didn't know that Elvis Dumerville had 105, over 105.5 sacks in his career. By the way, mm. interesting Ferris, he was a two-time pro bowler. He's 26 on the all-time sack leader board, but he was the first player to record 100 sacks being under six foot one. I never thought of huh. defensive ends all being tall, but now that I think about it, they're all pretty big, long frames. You know, they have that wide reach. They got to be quick, but also get around the guy and be able to come back to the quarterback and have that long reach. But he's the yeah. first guy under six one to map a hundred sacks in his career. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that. That's pretty. That is pretty great. He was so dominant, though, man, for those years. He played a lot of his years. Was it all with Denver? Yeah, he was Denver. Or, then he went uh, the Ravens, Baltimore too. He went with the Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, I hated him because I was, you know, grew up a Chiefs fan. So he would he would just decimate the Chiefs every yep. day. He was inc- he was incredible. Yep. Yeah. After twelve years, he's calling it quits. So is uh, Julius Thomas. Remember, he's another Broncos probably guy you hated being a Kansas City Chiefs fan. He was a defensive end for yes. them. He is yes, now. I, I think he also played for Miami and a, a couple other teams. But he is uh, retiring because he said he wants to become a PhD to be able to study the effects of brain injuries. He wants to give back to the NFL Mm. because the NFL gave to him. He wants to give back to NFL players. And the way he feels that he can do that best is by going into uh, studying uh, his, his, uh, you know, nemesis, which is brain injuries in NFL football players. I thought it was pretty cool of Julius Thomas. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I mean, uh, that's good, you know, to have guys who actually went through it and actually played the sport, being involved in finding some of the solutions because they have a a perspective that guys who never played at that high level just don't have, you know? Yeah. You know, it used to be the old uh, mindset that if you're a football player, you're you're a big, dumb idiot, you know, especially if you're like a lineman and stuff. That isn't true at all. By the way, in today's game, if you ever go, and I watch college football from the sideline when I'm the team physician for a university, and uh, I listen to them during their meetings. And so when I go on the road trips, I don't have anything else to do. So I go and listen to the meetings and uh, I watch the plays and I watch the film with them sometimes. And I'm like, this is so much more complicated than the football we played in the 1980s. They have taken it to a whole nother level. Like plays are just basically, you know, an open chalkboard based on what the other team is playing against them. When we always knew what play we were running. As soon as you walked up the line, you're running the play. Yeah. Every now and then I look out there and I'm like, oh, there's a safety sitting right in the spot that I'm supposed to run, run this pass pattern. And I still ran it because that's what the play was. Now, if that safety's in your slot, you're running a different play and the quarterback and you have to be on the same page and know that and practice it. It's just a different game altogether, man. It is absolutely the biggest game. That was a big knock on Tim Couch years ago that he uh, was in an offense that allowed him to throw the ball, you know, to the open space all the time, and he gets in the NFL, and now suddenly he couldn't read defenses. That was one of his big deals. But you really just can't be a dummy. And the old, I don't know if it was ever true in the first place, but you, you, yeah. you just like Julius Thomas now wants to go get his Ph.D., 
he's a very intelligent man, and I think you have to be somewhat intelligent to be a football player. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when, when Dan Marley came into Coach Grand Canyon University, you know, he basketball, had that yeah. pro style. Yeah. It's basketball, but it was like, oh, there's, there's, there's like four or five basic plays. But if the guy's on your right side, you go this way, so that means the, the three goes the other way, but the four turns this way. There's so many variations out off of his pro-style offense, and it takes guys a while to figure it out because a lot of them coming right out of high school where it's like, if you throw me the ball down low, I'm bigger and faster and stronger than everybody else, so I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to score. I don't have to worry yeah. if he's on my right or left. It doesn't yeah. matter. You know, yeah. you get to the next level, and every level you go up after that, it does matter. So like, to your point, even if the safety's there, you might have been just better athlete than him in high school, so you could just do what you wanted. But you get to college and the safety's there. You ain't gonna just be able to go around him like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Got to figure the different play out. When my son was in seventh grade, there was this, uh, this running back named Noah Lang. And Noah, I think, is playing. He's the head running back at uh, Lido now, in high school. But he, he was at Wiley High School where my son went, and he he, uh, I mean, literally, was the best player I've ever seen on a football field. So so far ahead of his peer group, that. You just give him the ball, and he would run for a touchdown. He would run everybody over, you know. He would just smash mouth him, and then he could also run faster. And he he understood the game faster than everybody else. And right. and one time we were down, and it was a semi close game, and someone said, uh, "When what play we're going to run here?" And I looked at him, I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Give the ball to Noah, <laughs> man! I mean, don't overthink this, man." Oh man! Did like, you ever see uh, the movie uh, Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell when he coached the soccer team? <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a great. You got to watch it because Mike Ditka's in it, Robert Duvall, and they they they're a bad soccer team, but they find these two Italian kids who are just great at it. And yeah. he's like, here's our play. Get the ball to the Italians. What are we going to do? Get the ball to the Italians. Yeah. It reminds me of Hoosiers, you know, when they yell out, uh, give the ball to Jimmy. To Coach, Jimmy. I'll take yeah, the shot. Yeah, Jimmy. I got it. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't try and uh, overthink don't this Don't overthink much. yourself, right? No. If you got a guy who's better than everybody else, just give him the ball and let him do his thing. Yep, Not absolutely. Hey, uh, the Cowboys had an interesting story, and I thought just for our listening audience, I would clear up some confusion. Uh, Kayvon Frazier, he's a safety for the Dallas Cowboys. So, there's a story that he uh, is, is basically during the game he comes out and he pops his shoulder in and out of place and he uh, is saying that he you know he went back in after he popped it back in place and he's going to play the next week. So just to be clear, so there are different things that pop in your shoulder. Your shoulder is a very dynamic joint. There's a great big ball sitting in a little bitty cup. That's the end of your upper arm bone called your humerus. That bone, uh, it, that big ball there. That sits in a little bitty cup called a glenoid. It's a it's a little cup. So there's lots of movement. If you dislocate that joint, and you know, in other words, you pop the big ball out of a little bitty cup. Let's just put it this way: you're 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 not going back in. One, your team position isn't going to let you go back in. You can sometimes sublux it where you partially slip it out and it slips back in. Even then, it's we don't typically let you go back in because the chance of it going out again is too high. Now, there is another joint called your AC joint. It's where your clavicle goes over and attaches to your shoulder, and it's kind of at the end of the clavicle into your collarbone. Right. That bone called your AC joint, where your clavicle ties into your chromium, your AC joint, that joint in football players, because you fall and land, you, you shoulder pivot into the ground so many times, you, that's called a shoulder separation when your clavicle and your, and your uh, chromium, when that AC joint separates, that that happens so many times that that joint will oftentimes click and pop. And they'll feel like they can clunk their clavicle in and out. And some players will have it like, it's like a piano key. They get a, a grade three where it pops up and it sticks out of place all the time. It's even tense the skin sometimes. And players mm. can kind of push it down and put it back in. That'll pop in and out of place. That one, you know, you'll, if you look at a lot of NFL players, many, many of them have those AC joint separations. You've had them so many times, they don't even repair them if they're not bothering you. So they just let them do that. Now, you can clunk that one in and out of place and you can still play. 
But let me just tell you, if you clunk your big one out of place, like the big glenohumeral joint, we call it, the great big ball in the little bitty cup, one, it's almost impossible to put it back in place if it's your first time of doing it yourself. Rarely. Maybe if you subluxed it, but it didn't come all the way out of place. But you're not going back in the game, and you're not you're not talking about coming back and playing the next game because it's too high of a risk. As soon as you reach out and grab somebody, jerk him, yeah. jerk the shoulder, and pulls out, it's just going to come out again. So just to be clear, the news media report was he was clunking his shoulder in and out of place. Well, that's really your AC joint, and that's what we're talking about. Well, so are you saying that the media sometimes doesn't get it right when it comes to sports injuries? Hey, you know you watch shows. You know everybody has a profession out there. <laughs> everybody right now who's driving has their own profession, and you'll sometimes watch a, a show, a docu. You know whether it's a NCIS or you know you watch some show and it's about your right, field, right, right. and the yeah. whole time you're watching, you're like, that is so far from reality. It's like when <laughs> I watch doctor shows and they yell for labs, and they say, "Hey, I want a lab," and someone down at the end of the table yells back the results. In real life, I have to go write an order on the computer. The nurse has to take the order. Someone has to come from the lab, come draw the blood. The blood goes down the lab. Then it takes too long. Get a call down the lab. Hey, is the blood result back yet? Then, you know, somebody finally gets the lab report. The nurse tells you it's on the computer. You get on the computer. You look at it. You're like, that's a whole, like, long time period. You know, in the, in, in the movie, because they can't do that because it's too tedious, too boring. Hey, I need a CBC. And they're yelled back, blah, 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 the results. I'm like, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, so. and then the be- the other the best thing about movies is whenever you need to go someplace, you there's always a parking spot right out in front of where you want to go. That's right. I wish you wish that was reality as a doctor, you could call a lab and get the results. I wish there was always just a parking spot right there in front of where I was. You going. know where I really don't want to go? I don't want to go to commercial break, except I love our sponsors, and so we need to go to commercial break here on Docs and Jocks. If you ever want to find out about being a sponsor in our nasty syndicated show with SB Nation, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com. We'll be right back. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks here in our last segment, man. I want to say thank you for your great listeners, and, uh, man, thank you for making our podcast one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there. It's Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X on iTunes Podcast or in our SB Nation feed on Podcast Arena. Great to have you part of our show any way you can. I thought, uh, Ferris, this is one of the greatest times of the year, and Ferris Potter, my my, uh, co-host, is the uh, voice of Grand Canyon University. The college football opening weekend is just absolutely one of the best times of the year. I love this. I love when the first day of opening day of baseball. I love the first day day of NFL. But college football weekend is awesome. Yeah, it's it's going, man. Everybody's pretty pumped up. There was some interest. You know, there was was a a few big uh, non-football news stories, of course, with Ohio State and stuff. But all that stuff's kind of behind everybody. They're moving on. They're doing the college football thing. And everybody's pumped up. I mean, usually there's a couple of kind of weak sister games coming up, you know, and you get you get out on the uh, field and you smash somebody really good to get your season going. But uh, you know, I mean, it, there's going to be some nice games, too. I mean, we got Auburn-Washington, which is nine versus six uh, coming up this weekend. I mean, even in Alabama at Louisville, they always put up a good a good fight. So there'll be some nice matchups. And we haven't heard too many stories about, you know, injuries that are going to, you know, derail an entire team. College, there's usually more guys, you yeah. know, available to bring right. up. So. Yeah, and don't forget Division Three football. Division Three football is the only division where the guys are playing for the love of the game. They don't play for any money. There's no scholarship on the ride. These guys just love it. I love my Hardin Simmons University Cowboys. They're getting ready to kick off the season with the uh, with Trinity on September 8th. Coach Jesse Burleson, Coach Jimmy Keeling, you know, been big time guests here on Docs and Jocks, good friends of ours. So love Division Three football. Don't forget about it if you want to go see a game because people just love it. That's what you're that's what you're talking about. 
D3, baby. I like how you said no money, no pay, and no scholarship because yeah. we know there's pay and scholarship. Absolutely. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Time out. <laughs> so, hey, what is, hey well, big injury in the news, too. I don't want to leave it out. Is Buster Posey, the uh, star, star all-star yeah. for the uh, San Francisco Giants. He undergoes a labral repair of his hip. He's also having a microfracture procedure where they go in and they chip the bone to get a, a little blood back to the bone. Oftentimes when they have cartilaginous injuries to the end of the bone. So, man, he's going to be out for the remainder of the season. Arizona Diamondbacks shortstop Nick Ahmed had that last year in same procedure and so he came back and is looking good yeah 20 a lot cents. of baseball a lot of baseball injuries I know it's baseball is overcoming football crazy? but with the start of college football and the start of the NFL I think we'll see that surpass it but hey you'll find out all about all your injuries every week here on Docs and Jocks we'll see you next week on your sports medicine radio show for myself Dr. Dan and Ferris we'll be right back next week with your sports medicine radio show Docs and Jocks <laughs>